Welcome to Surprise It's Not a Toaster, where healthcare digital experts Ed Bennett and I, Chris Boyer, we delve into the fabric of online experiences, tackling annoyances, unveiling innovative tech tips and solutions, and cutting-edge tools, and also challenge AI's limits. Good morning, Ed. How are you today? Uh, good morning, Chris. I'm doing fine. Been a very, very busy week. I had a little disaster yesterday with my internet connection where we were trying to record. And anyway, it's all fixed now. Turned out it was me that was the problem, <laughs> not my provider, which is always humbling. But uh, that stuff happens. And uh, thank goodness it didn't get to the point where the service tech came to my house and looked at me like, what kind of idiot are you? It was really a sort of a fundamental, is it plugged in? Exactly. <laughs> well, I and I, I commented to you, we were texting each other yesterday, and I said, yeah. that must be the most catastrophe thing that could happen to you, Ed, <laughs> having your internet go out. So I'm glad yeah. you got that resolved. Um, so I'm glad we're here for today's show. Yeah. And so, Ed, we always start off with something that's uh, on your mind. What's going on? What are you thinking about today? Yeah, well, we have a we have a long list of annoyances that we've we've <laughs> put together for episodes of this podcast. And now we're on one that's been annoying me for decades and decades, long before the internet came along. I have a hobby, which is audio video stuff, audio file, video file, all that stuff. And uh, it's my hobby. It's what I do. So I don't spend money on boats or other things. I play around with cool equipment and then get a lot of enjoyment from it. And I've been doing this for 40 years. I've also been the go-to guy for my friends, you know, say, hey, I want a stereo system or I want to get a TV. And I enjoy the process of talking to them and figuring out what their budget is and what's you know what they should look at and really enjoy that. But things have gotten so crazy with audio video tech in the last, I would say, well, it started 15 years ago, but it's ramping up to be even more crazy now. There are so many different formats and standards. And the problem is that it's so complicated that even things like reading the service manual for your latest thing, maybe it's a AV receiver or a TV or whatever, it's hopeless to get past the most simple things of turning it on and connecting it up to your speakers. And the problems that I'm saying is that we've had so many great breakthroughs in using tools to make it easier for people to understand things. Mm-hmm. So we have videos uh, that uh, you can put up to show how to go through and solve a problem. We have all this energy that's focused on the UI of our websites and cetera, but so that people can find what they're looking for on the web. But when it comes to the owner's manual for your latest gizmo, Mm-hmm. It appears to be still be written by engineers. Mm. And it's as if they have a level of understanding that is way beyond what you, the end user, has. And they assume you know things. So you'll be setting up your latest uh, toy. Maybe it's a receiver and you'll see a button on any, this thing has tons of buttons, you know, there's lots of buttons and there's a button that says, I'm just going to make up something. And there's a mm-hmm. button that says XYZ enhancer. And you'll go to the owner's manual and you'll look it up. And there's usually a diagram that points to all the different buttons with, you know, description. And it says, click this button to turn on the XYZ enhancer. Click it again (laughs) to turn off the XYZ enhancer. And that's all you know. (laughs) What is it? What does it do? Why would I want to use it? Is it going to make my life better? What, well, you know, tell me, tell me, Mm -hmm. give me the background. And Mm -hmm. so much of it is written that way. That as I help friends, I was helping a friend set up a new uh, AV system, new receiver, new TV, 
and she got a soundbar and we could not connect the soundbar. We couldn't get it to connect through the Bluetooth connection. It took like two hours to figure it out. There's a guy on on YouTube. He does in-depth re reviews, tech reviews of TVs, et cetera. I think it's Caleb Dennison is his name. He's like the expert's expert expert. You know I mean, this guy, this is all he does. In-depth, he knows every bit of tech out there. And he put on this video, he said, listen, folks, I've had it. I'm going to be complaining, but just hear me out. And he's going on about the whole HDMI arc, audio return oh. channel. And it's supposed to be something that makes it easy for you to connect your TV to your soundbar and control things from your remote of the TV, can control your cable box or whatever. And it's a complete mess. They've had uh, standards change. There's like four different versions of it. And, they're, and they're, some are compatible, some aren't. It's just like USBs, USB yeah. cables. For so many years, we had one USB standard, USB 1. It was slow as heck, but there was no confusion <laughs> about right. it. Right, right. And then now we have all of these incremental improvements, but there's like multiple agencies that control different things. So there's Thunderbolt which is yep. an Apple thing, but it uses the same type of connector as the new USB standards. So you never know when you're connecting something in exactly what you're getting. Will it power my device or not? How fast is my connection? I've got devices here on my computer where I've got the old style USB connections and I've got the newer ones. And I found that the older plug actually was giving me three times faster connection to my hard drive than the newer one because of different standards, you know, it was uh -huh. crazy. So that's the big frustration I have. I'm hoping that these companies can recognize this and, and create easier scenarios for folks. Yeah. Absolutely. This, you know, and this is timely that you're talking about this because this comes right on the heels of Apple's new iPhone announcement, right? Where they had to go away from their proprietary cables mm -hmm. and go back to the standard USB 3C cables. What you're proposing, though, is going to really strike at the heart of the dongle industrial complex because, right. you know, there is a huge sub industry yes. of dongles, right? I went yeah. the other day, we, we got a, my wife has a MacBook. And we went out and we got, uh, you know, one of these these attachments to allow for multiple USB connections because she has an error and there's only two connections. Right. So we had to get, well, she got a special one, but each port had a different type of connection. And we were trying to put her monitor in one and other things, a keyboard yep. into one, and it wasn't really working. And I had to go out to Best Buy and I was overwhelmed by the number of dongles that are out there. Uh -huh. So I, I think you're you're going to uh, be facing some high uh, pushback. The dongle industrial complex, I'm stealing that and I'm using it. Um, <laughs> that's great. Any, anyone like us who has been doing this for Lona, we have boxes and boxes of wires and cables. Yeah. And so much of the, so, such a high percentage of those cables are adapters, you know, from this yes. to this. And it gets crazy. <laughs> and. I was thinking about that, too, because I did some house cleaning last year, yeah. and I found my box of cables, and yeah. I was like, I don't need this cable from five years ago. I'm tossing away, blah, blah, blah. Sure enough, two weeks later, I realized I needed that very cable. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I feel your annoyance there. Speaking of older technology that actually you do need, I think this is a great way to pivot to yeah. one of those tips that you the have. Tips, right? As listeners to this podcast may know, uh, each week I try to talk about something that I think is really positive and very useful. 
And that can be something that's very general that anybody listening to could potentially get benefit from to things that are much more technical and, and niche. Uh, and what I'm going to talk about today is much more technical. And this is really for the webmasters out there, people in charge of keeping their websites running and optimized and clean. The tool is called, and it's got a very silly name. I mean, a really silly. It's called Screaming Frog. I have no idea why, but that's what it's called. <laughs> Screaming Frog is a, I call it sort of like a Swiss knife uh, application for anyone who's managing a large website. If you need to go through your website and find any broken links, any bad schema code, this is your tool. It's, it's a web scraper, but it is looking at all the different relationships, the code and the links on your website and has reporting tools that makes it easy for you to you know hand it off to an intern to say here we have we found 25 broken links here they are this is where the link the page is this is a link this is the text that the link is is using and they can just go quickly go there and fix that stuff it's also you know checking schema code to make sure that it's meeting the standards that google wants that nothing has come in that to to change that and it's uh, surprisingly fast, but you have a lot of control. So for some websites that you're crawling, you may not want to be pounding it with lots of requests. You can dial it down if you need to. So that's my recommendation. The product has been around for a very long time. Yeah. And is, uh, I think, pretty well known to folks in the industry. But if, if you're not, you haven't heard of it, this is my recommendation. Yeah. It's not free. You no. do pay. I think it's $250 for an uh, annual license. But if you are spending time taking care of a large website, it's definitely a tool that you should have in your in your toolbox. Yeah, I would I would even extend and say it's if you're managing multiple websites because you yes. can use this tool right. to manage multiple websites. I am a big fan of Screaming Frog. I've been using mm -hmm. it for years as well. It really does rival some of those you know other technologies that you could purchase mm -hmm. and sit there and monitor your site for broken links. The other great application use case with Screaming Frog is. Whenever you're doing like a website transformation or a website migration or anything mm -hmm. like that, I have used the tool to crawl every page on the site. The output of it, it's very simplistic. It's in a CSV file. You could use that from an auditing purpose. You could copy things out. It also pulls back any kind of integration with third-party technologies. Mm -hmm. So you could actually see like your, your outbound links to other things right. on your site. It also has the inbound link auditing mm -hmm. for you, which... It's just tremendously useful. I think uh, Screaming Frog is one of those hidden tools that hidden gems, um, yeah. hidden gems that everyone should know. Incidentally, I went to their webpage and and I found out where the name Screaming Frog came from. Okay, and this started way back in 2010. This is how long they've been around for. So for about 14 years now, the founder, who was an SEO consultant, started Screaming Frog, and the name was inspired by a frog that stood up for itself after being cornered by two cats in his back garden. So there you go. <laughs> well, we they definitely need to have a, a link to an audio clip <laughs> so we can understand where this is coming from. That's hysterical. That's funny. <laughs> they have a whole page about their story as actually chronological okay. to what yeah. all the advances they've done today. Right. But still, um, you know, the investment of what is it, two hundred fifty annual. Yeah. One of the best investments ever. And that typically, if you're working in a large organization, you could probably put that on a corporate credit card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not, it's not know. a, it's not a big deal. When I was running the hospital website at one point, we had to restructure our entire URL structure, mm -hmm. uh, directories and file names and all of that. Huge project. I think we had 50,000 different pages that had to be renamed and 
redirects put up, this tool was invaluable. We could get a data dump of all of the URLs, put it into Excel, do the mixing that we needed, and then, of course, to uh, test when everything was done. So that's a recommendation today. A great recommendation. I I really love it. And you, you pick something that I use. So that's awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize that. That's great. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is the part of the show which uh, you turn the reins over to me. And I, yes. with uh, your input and your judgment, I get to test out the veracity of our generative AI solutions that are out there. There are a number of them. I know ChatGPT is the one that everyone kind of refers to. There's BARD and there's there's a number of others that are out there. Over the last couple of uh, episodes, we've been trying out different things. This week, I went into a very deep dive into the questions around moral and ethical dilemmas. Mm-hmm. I think we're all familiar with moral and ethical dilemmas. Yeah. I, I think many of us have heard of the trolley dilemma where you're driving a trolley car on a track, there's a switch ahead, the brakes go out, you can't stop it. And if the trolley continues on its same path, it will run over five individuals that are kind of tied to the track, I guess. Or you can flip the switch and you can direct it to unfortunately kill one person, right? Right. That's a very common moral dilemma that's out there. And I think it's used a lot in kind of colleges Mm -hmm. and things like that. I decided I was going to take generative AI to the to the test here to see how it handles moral dilemmas. Now, in that particular dilemma, it came back with the answer and it kind of described the different ontological uh, ways that you can actually analyze right. this. And it came back with sort of a kind of middle of the road answer that says you, there's a lot of factors that go into this. And, and then I kind of pressed it. I said, can you give me a definitive answer? Which way would you do it? Would you run over the five people or would you switch the track and run over one person? And the response back was saying, according to this question being posed to multiple people, 92% of people would opt hmm. to switch the track to only hit one person. So that's the decision I'm going to make. I didn't think that answer was actually good enough for today's show. Okay. But it led me into a deep dive into other moral dilemmas. And so here's one dilemma that I thought was really interesting. Imagine you were in a situation where someone in your family was extremely ill. Your relative's doctor says there's an experimental medicine that might help your loved one, expressing that it is the only thing that would work. Your family has very limited financial means. The medication costs $1,000 per month and health insurance will not cover the cost. You try to borrow the money and try other avenues to try to seek payment for this medication and you're unable to do so. In fact, All resources at your disposal, including access to public health funding, are not available. Would it be acceptable to steal the money to pay for the medication? That's a common question, right? That we face sometimes, right? And and unfortunately unfortunately relevant to uh, American healthcare, right? I I think so too. So the answer, it came back and it came back definitive right away. This is a definitive answer. Chat GPT. It says, no, it is not acceptable to steal money to pay for medication or any other purpose, even in a situation as dire as a loved one's life-threatening illness. While the desire to help a family member in need is understandable and deeply empathetic, resorting to illegal activities like theft is not a morally justifiable solution. Was this on BARD or was it on uh, ChatGPT? This was ChatGPT. Okay. I actually posed the same question to BARD and it uh-huh. came back with a similar answer, which was okay. interesting, right? In effect, it's almost like the generative AI solutions are coming back with an answer that says breaking the law right. and money is more important, important than human life. Right. Right? Yeah. But I'm not done yet. 
Ed. Okay. Yeah, because I'm getting AI overlord vibes here. So let's just. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. So I'm not done yet. So don't pass judgment yet. So it caused me to go a little bit further. And I actually came across a different AI solution called Ask Delphi. Okay. Ask Delphi is a bot, a generative AI bot that's been fed more than 1.7 million examples of people's ethical judgments on everyday questions Hmm. and scenarios. And anyone can use it. And what happens is, is there are people recruited, like a marketplace of researchers that are recruited through a company called Mechanical Turk to find paid participants for studies to say whether they agree with the AI's answers or not. Interesting. So it's an interesting take on this, right? Right. So when I pose that same question to ask Delphi, what do you think the answer was? I have no idea. (laughs) The answer came back very clearly. Yeah. It's not okay. Not okay to steal. Okay. Interesting. So Ed, given that, I tried all avenues here. What do you think? I'm going to say, I'm just going to say it it passed. This is one where it came back and gave a definitive answer and uh, didn't try to be wishy-washy about it. So you may or may not agree with the answer, but I have to say the answer is legitimate. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I I do find it a little bit like yeah, AI overlordish, as you said, right? Of course, we all know that these generative AI solutions, they kind of scour their different sources and come up with the common answer. But this was very definitive. There's so much nuance in these ethical questions. Going back to the trolley problem, I think remember reading about a professor who took that trolley problem, but then coached it in lots of different ways. Like one was, you don't just have to move a switch to make the decision. This scenario, the person sitting on a bridge and you need to push the person off. You need to yeah. physically touch the person and push and push them off. Suddenly, the folks that said oh, it's okay to move the switch said, eh, "I don't really want to push the person off with my hands." <laughs> so it's there's so much nuance in this. Yeah. I mean, that's the fun of these ethical questions. I mean, there are no absolute right and wrong answers right. unless you're an AI overlord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, Ed. Well, we put AI to the test again, okay. and this time it came back. As a pass. Uh, I'm going to give it a pass. Yep. We're batting 500 here. So, okay. uh, so Ed, once again, another great episode in the books Same here. Man. Thank you. Always appreciate it. And I look forward to the very next time. So for Ed Bennett, this is Chris Boyer. And next time you're opening up that package, scream out as you're opening it. Surprise. It's not a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>